This is To The Point. A Rhino Experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up to the point listeners? It's your boy, the host of To The Point Home Services Podcast, Chris Yano, along with my co-host, who today happens to have four eyes. You know who you, what you call people with four eyes? It's those people with glasses. I don't have those things. But tall Paul, my co-host, you got glasses on. What the hell's going on, Paul? You know, thanks for pointing it out, as you always do. Um, I'm uh, some sort of affliction. I can barely see right now. I have to get dropped off at work in the morning right now. But I'm going to get on the other side of it. But right now, having a barrier between the the world and, and my eyeballs is best for me. So there it is. I've got I've got some shades on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it look it's different. It's gonna be hard to get used to. I'm not even gonna lie. And you know, and the good thing is, is I'm not gonna say anything about your hair. But our guest's hair is on point. It is. My goodness, bro! Come it's, on, you woke up like, like that a, too. A warm southern breeze just holding steady in the office there at yeah. Pulte Enterprises. The world's best hair gel or non gel or whatever. Is that that's just natural? You woke up that way. No gel. Gosh! Wow. Natural. Some people are just gifted. Natural, unbelievable. Mine's natural it? too. How do I now came on here? Because I was like, man, it looks crazy. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and at least hop into some of the stuff. Hey, our guest um is Mr. Bill Puldy. The third, is that correct? No, actually, I'm not uh, I'm not the actually second? Third. some newspaper called me that once or something, and people have always thought that. But I'm actually my dad's name's Mark, and my grandfather I was named after was Bill. So no, there's no third or anything well, like well, that. Well, then we're off to a great start. Well, <laughs> I will go in later. I take ownership of that. So I'll go into Wikipedia and request the edit so that that doesn't Lame. happen again. Well, okay. regardless, we have uh, Mr. Bill Pulte, who's CEO of Pulte Capital, um, does a ton of philanthropic stuff, which we're going to get into. But also, fun fact I found out is uh, somebody might be a helicopter pilot. Might yep. have done, might have dabbled a little bit in that world with some uh, aerial photography and stuff like that with a successful venture. But um, originally, born and you're born and raised in Florida. Like I hear people talk about thinking it was Michigan since that's where the um, where Pulte where the headquarters was. I don't know if it, I think it moved, but you're from you're from Florida. You're a Florida boy. I am, but I'm also uh, our whole family's from Michigan, right? Right. Well, um, first off, welcome to the show. We're glad to finally get you on here and to share your story and kind of what you're doing uh, with our listeners and in our industry. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, grandson of the great Bill Pulte, which, by the way, I've learned the story. A fun fact, my very first home I bought, my own money, was a Pulte home. That's great. Pulte home. I'm sorry, what's that? Hopefully it was good. It was fantastic. It was a great first house. Um, and I can remember the day that, and it was like right before the big bubble, the 0809 bubble. And it was like, I probably paid a ton for it. Well, actually, I know I did. I paid more for the inflation of it and I didn't even care. I was just pumped to have bought my first house. It was a pretty cool moment. <clears throat> um, now your dad, your dad is Mark. You like you, know, you said his name was Mark. He, he was also in the home building business too, right? Wasn't he? But that was in Florida as well. 
Yeah, my dad builds big estates. My dad's very, very talented at what he does. My grandfather and I were the only ones in the production business, but my dad builds large, large homes. And when I say large, uh, he recently sold a home. This is totally true. You could Google it for $130 million in Palm Beach, one house. Uh, so my dad is kind of high, high, high end market. Um, and he's, he's, I think he's, you know, I think he's probably top five in the world at those type of homes. That's incredible. I mean, that is a gigantic, <laughs> that's a gigantic home spread. I'm sure location obviously has something to do with it being where you just said. Yes. Yeah. Cause only, you know, that business can only really survive in a, in a climate like California or, Abu Dhabi or, or Southeast Florida, for example. Um, yeah, it's really hard to even like understand that, but you know, I, I think that's something that's important to, to also point out, um, as I've kind of learned and, and did a little bit of research just on, on you, Bill is, um, and I don't ever want anybody to feel like they have to live in this crazy shadow because it, uh, you either have, I think an eye for that or you don't. And I think, um, you've had a lot of your own independent success. And so certainly want to, I would certainly don't want to talk about that and focus on that today versus the family history. So, um, and I don't mean anything disrespectful by that. I just, you know, you're on here and I want to talk about I'll, you. I'll take that shadow all day long. So <laughs> give, give me more of it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I heard something that, 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 um, you know, again, since we've, you know, for the listeners, Bill and I have never actually had a, um, a actual conversation other than, you know, in a chat platform. So like, I think Facebook messenger, something like that. Um, and then all the hearsay I've heard from just other folks in the industry who've had plenty of great things to say about him. So, um, but I, so in my research of listening to you, it's, I always try to get a feel for someone's character and typically if, because all the philanthropic stuff that you do, you can get an idea of someone's character, um, on kind of where their heart's at, um, and what their purpose is. And you had said in one interview, and I don't know, because I listened to probably like 10 of them, um, a, a story about your grandpa, I think it was, pulling you into like the laundry room um, yeah. and talking about like uh, being humble, you know, I'll put to put it lightly, uh, because I think it was like a Forbes magazine thing that came out and he talked about, you know, um, you know, being, you know, I use air quotes, rich, but kind of a humbling moment for you or a lesson learned that you, that you took away from that. I'm like, you know, regardless, you know, you got to be a humble, you got to be a good human being. Did I get that right? Was it close? That was dead on. It was uh, Easter. I don't know what year it was, but it was at my aunt's house. It was in my aunt's laundry room. And I remember it like yesterday. He says, don't you ever say that you're rich. Don't you ever say that. And I said, I, I think I even like tried to defend myself as you would. Have and I said, I was just saying I'd seen you on a, you know, a magazine cover or something like that, which it was Forbes or Fortune or something like that. This was when he first really started to crack into the Forbes 400. That's incredible. I mean, and, um, I'm sure that's probably just one piece of advice you, you had got, you have gotten, but, um, you grew that up. That reminds me of a funny story that I just read about Shaquille O'Neal, who completely unrelated, but who's <laughs> had some material success. Someone asked Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Shaquille, the question of like, how do you raise humble kids? And he looked at the interviewer and he said, I'm rich. My kids aren't rich. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they're broke. Yeah. I, um, I think what we're going to have to do too, just um, because I know our listeners won't know this, is that there's a slight bit of a delay, Paul, just so you know. So we'll have to give Bill a uh, a chance to respond without overlap too, for both of us, just to be aware of that. Um, and I do, will, I will say this too. Another, there's one thing that you and I have in common, Bill, actually there's a couple of things that you and I have in common, but one thing 
I'm also doing my little deep dive into the world of Bill Pulte, um, is listen, it, high school was a long time ago for me too. I graduated in 1997 from Southmont high school. Shout out to my Mounties. I doubt there's a single one listening, maybe one. Um, but you and I, we both did the morning announcement in high school. That's great. I love it. <laughs> did I you read really, that? You really did your research because those are those are unique things. So <laughs> I did as well. Look how awesome. it all comes together. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I don't think ours are probably as put together as well as where you guys came from. My school is a little bit tinier, but Anyhow, so listen, our listeners really don't care about any of those things too, but it just wanted you to know that I did my research. So I dug deep, you know, and I always try to learn about everybody's coming on, just find some little things that maybe not everybody knows. Um, so anyhow, again, welcome to the show. Uh, obviously, I, I've gotten to know your story uh, for the most part and, um, and, and and the history of your family and things of that nature. And one, I just want to say right off the bat, um, congratulations on your success um, and thank you for your uh, heart for, for giving back. It's uh, certainly admirable. So I want to make sure we, we, we showcase those things today, but thank you. By the way, I say I do it selfishly though, because, um, you know, people say, Oh, you're so nice for giving away money. I said, don't say that. I said, you know, I do it for selfish reasons, which is, you know, it feels great to give. It feels great to be able to have resources, to be able to give back. And yes, we do it because it's the right thing, but we also do it because it helps us. So I get a lot out of it. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it is, um, it is, you, you can say, Hey, I give without expectation, but really what the expectation is, is you get that feeling back in return, um, for Correct. giving, but I, I've, I love giving, I've, I've said even the last few keynotes I've done too, I get to use that platform to, to share with everyone how much, um, that's a driver for me is giving back and try to create this little like pyramid scheme within my influence of giving back. So, I mean, you're doing something on a much larger scale, especially with the whole, um, Twitter philanthropy thing that we'll get into, but I think it's, I think I, I also heard somewhere that you'd sell like either a, like a million or something like that, that you've given away. It's like some crazy high number. Yeah. Um, I've given well over a million. Actually the numbers, when you consider all the fees and expenses and all the legal costs, you know, you had to get where I had to get fully up to speed. You know, I've got 3.2 million or something on Twitter now, 3.1 and 3.1 million followers. And so when you start doing those type of things, you have legal costs. So it's over 2 million now. Um, but, but the published number is about a million. So cool. And that's such a cool thing to do. Um, good for you. That's fantastic. Three plus million followers on Twitter. to know that. So then we now, that's what we need. Rhino solutions. Shout out on Twitter. Come on, Bill, get that done. So we can okay. bump that sucker up a little bit. I'm sure my social media manager would really love that. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Got 1.6 million on Instagram, too. So. Hey, we can add that in there too. No big deal. <laughs> I think I have seven. I'll tag. You. I'll tag you guys. Man, awesome. you're, I appreciate that. Well, let's get into your story. Um, like a little bit deeper into your story. Um, typically, we ask all of our guests, you know, how they got into the trades. Um, this one becomes a little bit easier to to understand how you got into the trades. But you're, you know, you're also getting into now. You're an entrepreneur, and I know that you like to get into the um, buying and selling of businesses as well. And so our world, I say our, mine and Paul's world, um, is a lot into the residential HVAC, uh, plumbing, electrical, like the residential, you know, contractors within those industries. Same, same for me. That's where I've made most of my money. 
and that's right. what I want to get right. into is that story on like, how did you get from, you know, from, I mean, how did you get into that? You know, cause when you went to Northwestern, you went for like journalism or something like that initially, right? Is that what that was? Yeah. So tell that story, like give us the, give our listeners the idea of like, who the hell is Bill Pulte? Well, I, like you said, I wanted to go into journalism, but one of the things that I knew growing up in a business family was how powerful and how great it was to be able to have a business and to be able to use the business to affect people's lives. And so in college, believe it or not, uh, I got my helicopter license and I started flying helicopters. And I got the idea that if I could take the helicopter up in the air and fly it around Chicago, this is before drones. If I went to these wealthy homes near Northwestern and could sell these sell these photos, you know, I could make money. And boom, I started just selling these things like hotcakes, these these aerial photos from from the helicopter. I'd go up, I'd get a fraternity brother, and he'd sit in the cockpit next to me. I'd tell him, "Hey, take photos of this place," and I'd slow the chopper down. Boom, boom, boom. We'd 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 take hundreds, thousands of photos, and we sold them. We made a lot of money. So. Pretty quickly, I was like, you know, forget this journalism degree. I'm just going to focus on business. So interestingly, I sold a uh, aerial photo to a gentleman who had made a lot of his money in private equity. And he said to me, and I'll always remember it. He said to me, because, you know, I grew up in a home building family. So, you know, I like to think of ourselves as more of, you know, a home building family and operations type family. You know, we, you know, Pulte Homes was our family business for so long. I'm not, I'm not really like a finance person per se, although I've become good at that. But he said to me, he said, you know, you seem to be good in business and your family's done all this stuff. He says, you ever thought about private equity? And I said, no, what the hell is that? And he said, basically, you can go in and you can buy these companies. And I said, wait, so you're saying you go, you go and you buy these companies and then you don't have to operate them and you can buy them. After people like Bill Pulte, my grandfather had, you know, built up a company for all these years. I said, you can do that? He said, yeah. So he got me an internship. This this guy, he was a client of my aerial photography business. I still keep in touch with the guy to this day because he was just a total badass back then. <laughs> you know, when you're selling when you're selling aerial photos and the guy, I think he he wanted he, he had like six or seven boats and he wanted me to slow down on his boat where he wanted me to fly over his boat and he wanted me to go really slow over each one and take a photo of every one. So I was like, wow, this guy's kick ass. So I did the private equity internship. And then I, after college, I went and worked for a private equity fund. And then my grandfather had stepped off the board and retired as chairman of Pulte Homes in 09. And by 2010, I was trying to convince him, hey, you know, I'm working in private equity. Uh, what do you say? We start something called Pulte Capital and we start investing in housing related companies. And so in 2011, we started buying uh, building products, housing products, businesses. Now I can tell you why I got into HVAC, but basically I didn't buy an HVAC company until 2013. And that was my first time buying HVAC companies. This was after the big boom and then the bust. And, and, and then basically nobody wanted to buy the HVAC assets back then in 2013. Uh, so I got a really good deal on that, on that asset. Um, and so, you know, happy to go and do it there, but that's kind of the backstory. Yeah. So who was it? Can you share? Who was the company that I bought? Yeah. Just curious. Sure. I bought advanced air and heat out of Edgewater, Florida. So, um, they're today owned by Southern HVAC. I don't know if you've, yep. so, 
So I actually started Southern HVAC. I actually, you know, I came up with the name, you know, I put the management team together and I'm technically the founder of that business. They're a um, client. They're a customer. Yeah. Not Southern HVAC, meaning uh, um, the one owned that was just owned by M South and sold. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 So Fox, I, I Fox sold that. and Fast and all of them. Awesome. Yep. Love it. Yeah. So I sold Southern uh, to M South. Interesting. Got it. What a small world. So you, you buy your first HVAC company at this point, kind of all building products, companies are equal. What did you learn about HVAC that kept you going deeper into that space that leads you to a podcast like we're on today? Well, I, my first business was a countertop business, kitchen and bath countertops. And, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about countertops, but I'll tell you one thing about them. They're a pain in the ass and to make, Hmm. to manufacture and I own probably the third largest, third or fourth largest, depending on the year, countertop company and a very, very difficult to make. And so when I got into the business in Edgewater, Florida, Advanced Air and Heat, and then we subsequently bought another business and grew those businesses, which we made into Southern, I said, wow, this is so much easier. Life is so much easier in the HVAC space compared <laughs> to countertops. And I said, that says that? a lot. That says a lot about countertops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, compared to home building and compared to countertops, it's a lot simpler and uh, you can scale the hell out of these things a lot quicker than you can some of those businesses. Interesting. So I know a lot about countertops. You know why? Because there was a pandemic and guess what happened during a pandemic? We remodeled (laughs) like every bathroom in our house and then we even added one. That's right. (laughs) Those countertops weren't cheap. Oh, and by the way, one of them was off. I felt for that guy. Um, I don't know what happened, but they had to remake that granite countertop. Wow. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, so we just sold that asset. You know, we have have a lot of these these days, but I think it was December of 19, I think we sold that business. So we sold that to private equity. And that that was that was a great transaction, the countertop business. So I miss it, but I don't miss how difficult of a business it is. I'm sure you have uh, still quite a bit you took away from that whole experience, though. I mean, it's tremendous. <laughs> well, so clearly I mean, I, we worked we worked very actively together on that asset because that was the first business in Pulte Capital. And, you know, he had retired and he knew a lot about product. He knew that was what he was always very good at was the consumer and the customer. And so we we reinvented the whole product line. We tripled that business in terms of size. Um frankly, a lot through the product. So, yeah. Well, I, I want to get, I want to go even deeper on HVAC, but before we get there, I know we talked a little about, about the uh, philanthropic stuff early. I want to talk about Twitter philanthropy, your jacket for our listeners who are not watching, but listening says Twitter philanthropy. So this is something you're proud of and identifying as um, what is Twitter philanthropy and, and why are you accredited with essentially in, inventing it? Well, I had this idea, which was kind of a crazy concept about two years ago. I was at my lake house in northern Michigan. I was on probably my second or third Oberon. So I wasn't really feeling it, but I was definitely having my second or third Oberon. And I said, you know, what if we were to use this technology, meaning Twitter, for good? And what if we just put out, I don't know, but I'll give away 10 grand on Twitter. 
And so I gave it out. And the next thing you know, the damn thing went viral. And, you know, for me, viral back then was, you know, 8,000 or 9,000 likes or something crazy like that, which today would be kind of low for me. But, and I don't say that in any other way than just like, I was like, you know, I, you know, I had, I don't know, 30,000 followers or something on Twitter at the time. Uh, Maybe that, and that was a lot to me. Um, But that thing, that went viral. And then about a week later, uh, uh, President Trump retweeted me. That really, that 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 was pretty cool. And that that whole thing in a big way. So I gained like thirty or forty thousand followers just from his one retweet. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Um, so, yeah. So, so since then, we've basically been using technology to give money to people who are in critical need or crisis. You know, social media is filled with all this hate, all this vitriol. Uh, people, all they do is just hate on each other on social media. And so what we try to be is the corner of the Internet that is good, that is um you know, where people who are dying of cancer, people who need insulin pumps, people who like the other day, I don't know if you saw, but we raised, you know, we helped raise over well over 30 grand. I think it's at a hundred grand now for the murder victim in Michigan. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. And that, and I only put out a few tweets for that and you know, that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so I love doing it. I love Twitter philanthropy. Thanks for asking it. Well, you have done a remarkable job with it, but just like anything, like you want to, your objective is to serve people who need it and do it in a meaningful way. But there's haters out there. There's people who are like, oh, this is whatever. Why do people, how do they, how are people critical of giving away money for free on the internet? Why are they critical? And what does that mean to you? Well, they first thought it was a scam. They first thought that I wasn't really giving away money. You know, and then they realized, wow, this dude really is giving away his money. So that was the first group of what I call haters. Um, honestly, the hate towards what we're doing is so much smaller than it was in the beginning. Good. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, I don't know anything about rockets, but it's kind of like, I assume when you take a rocket ship into orbit, like in getting in, getting into escape velocity, once we had punched through the escape velocity of, you know, having gone into the, let's call Twitter, like a, you know, like an atmosphere or universe, once we had punched through and once we were in there, you know, people have been very supportive, but getting in there to your point, there were a lot of haters. Um, I don't think that there's too many haters these days. I mean, some people say, you know, why do you do it publicly? Why do you do this? I'm trying to, I'm trying to crowdsource uh, donations. I'm trying to get rid of the uh, bloated overhead, the corruption. There's so much corruption in these 501c3 nonprofits. There's so much overhead, these fancy balls, all these things. And again, I'm not knocking on 501c3s. I love 501c3s. We partner with them all day long on Twitter Philanthropy. But if we can truly have it be peer-to-peer transactions in the digital format, 
I just think that it's going to unlock the ability to take care of people who are in, you know, who are dying of cancer. I mean, so, so, you know, that's kind of the only, whatever we get headwinds we get these days. So you, you've got the channel of Twitter, you've got this peer to peer model and your crowdsourcing. What's your vision for this? Where do you want to take it? I, I, you wouldn't be wearing it on your jacket if you didn't have grand plans for this right. model of philanthropy. So where are you going with it? To be honest, I mean, I have a plan. My plan is to help, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people eventually per day, uh, maybe per minute one day. Um, but, you know, on at Team Pulte on Twitter, we have about 294,000 followers, which I call teammates all throughout the day, all two, not all 294,000, but that audience is basically helping people with grocery money if they're dying of cancer, insulin pumps, et cetera. So that's at Team Pulte and that at Team Giving is also doing that. So it's really to grow, you know, th- those, not even brands, but grow that peer-to-peer, grow that peer-to-peer uh, enterprise, so to speak, and, you know, increase those numbers. That's, that's my goal. But to be honest, I always say that the only way Twitter philanthropy will be successful if it, is if it's not dependent on Bill Pulte. And I say that because I think it needs to be completely decentralized and it needs to be truly peer to peer. And that's why I'm a big fan of Bitcoin and some of these other things to alleviate poverty is because I'm trying to figure out almost like a GoFundMe, but in a way that allows people to instantaneously get micro donations. So we're working on some things and you know, we do have plans, Paul, but we'll see. We'll see where we'll see what happens. I mean, you, you just said it in a way very naturally that the objective is to try to eliminate poverty and use technology in a way to share resources in a safe, meaningful and impactful manner. So cheers to you. Good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. But uh, we are only one small part of it, but Bitcoin, on the other hand, I think it's going to be a big, big part of poverty, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I'm in, I'm in that game. So, um, I will say this, so, um, because it, uh, here's how I view, um, being vocal about giving back. Cause there's obviously sometimes people are like, oh, you're just saying that for the credibility or the accreditations or just, to, here's how I look at it. If the intent is good. Who cares? Because at the same time, I love the fact that you probably, maybe without what you might know or might not know, are certainly impacting or influencing someone else to go and do the same thing by putting that story out there. And I believe, I mean, that's statistic. I mean, that's just that's a fact, right? We've we've inspired tens of thousands. I would say hundreds of thousands of people to give. So, ain't nothing wrong with that. Sit in my basement somewhere and. And again, I'm not making fun of people who give anonymously, but, you know, the idea that I just sit in the basement somewhere and and not do that, I just, that's just not me. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you can go raise 30 grand for some girl who's, you know, tragically murdered in a high school shooting and you can do it with three tweets, I'd do that all day long. And I do do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually jealous that, that you can, because and you don't know me well enough to know yet, but that is like one of our core values at my company, Rhino, is giving back. We do a, no matter how big the company gets, we do one service day every single month and it's a paid day. You go, all you're doing is serving somewhere, whether it's as a group in your community, because not everybody's in, not everybody's in our Phoenix office. We have some spread out, you know, other like 30, 40 people that are still spread out too in other states. 
but the point is, is that go and give back. And, um, and it's to kind of fill their souls one, but also just to kind of be reminded of, um, you know, no matter where you're at in your life, you know, be grateful for where you're at versus where you could, you know, what, where you could be or the position that you could be in and, and give back. I mean, gosh, it's so good for the soul. And I think that that actually is what makes culture so great is that it makes you tighter. I think it brings people closer together when you can go and give. So I commend you, man. You've got such a big, uh, you got such a big influence, um, that, uh, it's cool to watch, man. And as I got to learn more, just to see you utilize it in such a way was, uh, was really inspiring for me. So I want to, um, segue into, uh, cause you kind of shared your vision with the Twitter philanthropy stuff, but just like, what's the vision with Pulte capital? Like, let's get into that stuff. Let's talk about that. What's, what's the vision with that organization? Well, Basically, in, in, you know, not only growing up in the Pulte Homes business in the sense that, you know, I worked with my grandfather on it and those type of things. We had a big win there, too, which we should talk about. Starting in 2016, we went in and we had to kick out a, a bad CEO. We had a bad CEO, but um, we turned it around, got the stock price up from about $17 a share. Uh, at the peak when I was on the board, it got up to about $46, $47 a share. So that was that was definitely a great experience. And, you know, we've used a lot of that at Pulte Capital. But one of the things in that vein that we've used at Pulte Capital is, you know, that the fish can rot from the head, meaning, you know, you're only as good as who's running the business and you're only as good as the team. And you guys know this and your people know this better than me or as good as me, um, that you're only as good as the team running the business. And so one of the things that I've started to do recently, Chris, and you probably heard about it is, really try to partner with business owners to give them the best of both worlds where they can retain the majority of the equity uh, in their company, but they can have the benefit of having a minority partner like Pulte Capital to you know, bring certain economies to scale, bring certain financial sophistication to the table, uh, help these people to the extent that they are profitable, which we should talk about that. You know, some people are profitable and others are, you know, not profitable, not <laughs> like life, right? It's kind of like life. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, to the extent that they're profitable and great owners, like we have a business there in Phoenix called Semper Fi Heating and Cooling, which is a phenomenal business. I have a great there. He's a rock star. But that business has become one of the bigger businesses in Phoenix. You know, I mean, it's not Gettle or Parker and Sons or those type of things, but that's going to be a very valuable business in short order. And I've got a great partner there, but he brought me in and he was going to sell the business to me for about three and a half to $4 million, Chris, about a year and a half ago. And today that business is probably worth somewhere on a bad day, 40 million on a good day. over fifty. So now and I own the business 50, 50, but this was the guy who was going to be, you know, selling the business for, as I said, three and a half to 4 million. So, so that'll work out, God willing, you know, knock on wood, that'll be a good transaction, like the Southern transaction. And we had another HVAC uh, platform called A-Star, which was sold to CELA, uh, uh, you know, as part of the whole CELA um, transactions up there in the Northeast. But, but basically, that's kind of, you know, where we're focused on right now is partnering with the right owners to go into these businesses and grow them. Um, because, you know, when you look at Ken Haynes and you look at, uh, Ken Goodrich and you look at all these different guys, you know, some more than others have learned it at earlier ages, but you know, what I'm trying to help these people do is figure out how do they get to be worth a ton of money at a very young age. So they don't have to wait till they're, you know, 
50, 60 years old. I mean, you know, some of these guys that we're partnered with are in their late twenties, early thirties. And if they just do the right thing, you know, these guys at a very young age can be worth a lot of money. And so we're trying to shrink that time frame up. And I think there's value in doing that. Uh, now you can never replace the experiences and the war stories and the wherewithal that, you know, uh, being in your fifties or sixties have like the Haynes and the, and the good riches of the world, you can never replace that. But what you can do is hopefully try to bring them to a financial event, um, you know, that maximizes value like it did in the Semper Fi thing. And again, that hasn't gotten done yet. We're not in market. We're not selling that business yet, but hopefully that goes well. What is different now in this market as you look to partner with companies than when you first got into the HVAC world with your first few transactions and um, what is different, what is better, what is worse, what's challenging? Well, I saw that you guys had that Colin gentleman on from Skylight Capital. Yes. And, you know, he was even in it before I was in it in terms of buying companies. Uh but I would say when he probably started buying his first businesses and when I started buying the businesses in 2013, nobody wanted to touch HVAC, nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really good for people like me. Part of the reason we've done the minority transactions is because the prices have gotten so incredible that the way to make money is to get them when they're small. And again, we believe that we're bringing value because we're giving them keys to make their business more valuable in the case of Semper Five, for example. And, um, you know, so we've had to adapt our model a little bit, Paul, to your question to become more competitive in, in this market. Now, I think that the market, generally speaking, has gotten better uh, because, you know, it's just, it's kind of the ebb and flow, right? You had the, the last time, as I understood it, I was too young to know, but the, the market went up and then boom, you had kind of a bubble and then you had a crash. And then, you know, I started kind of down here, you know, in the crash and then it went up. But I think that this bubble, if you can even call it a bubble, I mean, if everybody calls it a bubble, is it a bubble? I don't think so. So, I think that this bubble or whatever you want to call it, these high prices could stay, could stay pretty high for a long time. Yeah. And I think, Paul, that that's more of a function of low interest rates. And mm-hmm. uh, I think there's going to be perpetually low interest rates. And so when you see some of these bigger transactions getting done, you know, I could see, I could see this going on for a very long time. And that's completely different to answer your question from when we joined in 2013. And in the market today, is it common that people with your same strategy are taking a minority position or is it more competitive in the majority end of the spectrum? I mean, most people like me won't do minority because, you know, private equity, generally speaking, you know, they want 100 percent of the economics. But as I say to guys, you're talking to a guy, meaning me, whose family made almost two billion dollars owning 10 percent of a company. So. To me, it's kind of like, you know, percentages don't really matter. I mean, they do, but they don't, right? Like, I'll give you 100% of a piece of garbage, right? right. Uh, Or you could have 10% of Pulte Homes, which is, you know, today a $12 billion company, right? So, you know, it's all relative. And so, to me, you know, I say I'm a little, I'd like to think, well, I know I am. I'm more open-minded than different private equity guys. And I think that that's a function just of me managing my own money, frankly, because I think that a lot of these guys who are managing other people's money, uh, you know, 
they kind of have to make 100% of the upside in order for it to make it work. Because by the time it trickles down to them, you know, it's not a lot. Now, having said that, I do think over time, you know, if we're just being open and honest, and I shouldn't say this in public, but, you know, you get what you pay for here. I think over time, people will probably, I think you'll probably see more people try to do our model, meaning our model, meaning, you know, doing these minority deals. Um, Because I think that that's probably what the market's going to have to do to get competitive. But again, I think that, and I tell our guys, you know, our competitive advantage is that, you know, we're from the trades, we're from housing, we're from home building. Um, And so uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of value to that. Now it's just a function of like, you know, picking the right partners and we could get into that, but, you know, we've just seen a lot of different CEOs of these companies and, you know, it really is all about the horse that you're riding, you know what I mean? Um, Because the fish rots from the head. And if you got a great, if you got a great leader, Nine times out of 10, his team is going to be amazing too. Right. I, w- I want to come back to one thing you mentioned. You talked about taking a minority position and giving your new partners um, the keys to help them grow and be successful. Um, to the listeners out there, what are those, just a handful or a few of those keys that are handed over to your partners when you, you know, after transaction? Well, I would say in these businesses, we figured out really how to market uh, to grow the revenue, which obviously you guys are more experienced than I am in, but, you know, from getting into that business in 2013, we've really figured out how to grow the top line. So that'd be number one. Number two is we figured out how to get the cost under control while also growing the top line. And that's very important because now I often say revenue is vanity and profitability is sanity. And a lot of guys, they want the vanity, they want the revenue. Uh, But what's key, in my opinion, is not how much revenue you're growing, not how much top line you're going, but how do you manage the costs, you know, in between the revenue and earnings line. And so we can be very, very helpful with equipment savings and those type of things to help manage costs. And frankly, just, you know, whether it's piece rate installation, you know, that's one thing we've done very well in some of these businesses that's led to a lot of earnings power. So I'd say number one is top line, you know, proven market marketing things that we've learned over the last almost 10 years. Number two is cost containment. And then, you know, number three is probably making sure that the earnings are actually real um, in terms of that you have the right financial controls in place, that the business is actually making what you say it's going to make, because these things are very important in terms of certainty to close. And um, frankly, a lot of people leave money on the table. Now, there's a lot of other operational things that, frankly, we stole from other people. When we say stole, I mean borrow, you know, to use Sam Walton, the Walmart's phrase, you know, borrow. We, we like to borrow. We don't like to steal, but we borrow ideas from people. So whether it's Goodrich or, you know, all the other uh, all the other people in the industry, you know, uh, or these businesses we bought from, you know, we've gotten a lot of intel from having you know, bought and operated these companies. And so we try to, as much as possible, share that stuff across the platform. So those are just a few things. When you talk about things like cost savings and economies of scale, how much does it help that Pulte Homes is still a very thriving business that buys a ton from manufacturers and distributors and those sort of things? Does that come into play at all as a a value driver for you when you're negotiating? Well, that is totally, they're totally independent and there's no, you know, there's no uh, 
there's no way that that benefits me in any way, shape, or form. They're a totally independent, publicly traded company. Yep. Uh, I don't own any of the shares uh, currently in the business, so I just want to get that all out there. Now, having said that, I do think that you know, frankly, you know, me having worked with my grandfather, us having gotten the stock price back up, you know, at one point we, you know, my grandfather built it into the number one home builder in the country. I do think that when we go to sit down with people, and this is more just of you know our family's experience operating the asset, sure. and not, uh, you know you know, directly because of it, because that doesn't exist. And, you know, you know, okay. But, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, so, but I think people, when they sit down and, and, and they, you know, they see who they're dealing with and this is Bill Pulte and, you know, he's got a proven track record of building these companies and, you know, he happened to learn from Bill Pulte, you know, my grandfather. I do think that that, that, that aspect of our family legacy helps, but yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a brand thing at that point, but it also goes back to, um, you know, people. This is a very people centric business, and and it matters. Um, I want to transition a little bit to talk about one of your partners. This might seem like kind of a off the wall question, but one of the more, I don't know how I would describe Victor. I guess I would say popular, interesting, relatively polarizing um, personalities that exist in the in the HVAC world. He's one of the young up-and-coming HVAC celebrities out there. Chris, of course, you know, Victor. Transparent. You could say transparent. <laughs> uh, transparent, yes. Um, what's your relationship with Victor? What motivate And what motivated, I guess, either of you to do business together? What's that partnership look like for what you can share? What's what's going on in Southern California? Well, I do think Victor's very talented. Um, I do think he's very talented. And I think, you know, with a lot of talented people, and you guys know this because you're both talented. Many of your listeners are talented. But there's a lot of envy when you're talented. So I think that there's some of that. Sure. Um, now, one of the things that I've told Victor, both privately and publicly, is if he could focus, uh, he would be worth a lot of money. So, um, you know, if if and I think he's you know, I think he's made incredible progress on his on his asset there on his business. Um, you know, to think that these guys, they started it from the ground up. They didn't buy it. They didn't buy it in any way, um, whether it's him or Ishmael or these guys, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, so, so I have tremendous respect. I think he's very talented. I think, you know, if he continues to focus, let's put it that way, I think he could be worth a lot of money and he knows that I feel that way. Yeah. I will just, I mean, uh, Victor is coming to our Rhino X event this year, which is cool. Um, and I got to hang out with him up at True Grit and uh and just chit chat a little bit with him and and i've told him this too it's it's i'm like a uh kumbaya type of guy when everybody get along and so i think uh, when you, you say focus i'm going to relate this to focus um i think that i saw him uh grow uh, over the last year and i think that growth is the focus and, and maybe that's you know partially because you know of what uh, of your relationship too it could be but so I much did. Tried to, I tried to, you know, talk with him and and say to him, hey, you know, uh, this other stuff doesn't matter. And, and he, I think he agrees with that. So, um, you know, him and Ishmael not getting along, I don't understand what that's all about. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, those two guys, they should stay focused and make money. And it looks like they're doing that. Well, I'll tell you what, you know? those guys uh, at, at True Grit, like both were on stage complimenting one, one, one another. And so like that was a, 
and I missed it because I was actually flying in to the event when that went down and people, you know, and they were messaging me, both of them told me separately. Anyway, point is, is that I agree with you. Um, incredible talent, uh, Victor, uh, I would, uh, you know, I, I've gotten a chance to connect with him and, uh, and he's a good dude, man. So like, you know, I, I really want him to see him be successful. I'm glad he's coming down to Rhino X and we'll get to hang out a little bit, a little bit more. I'm excited to see what he does with absolute air down there in Southern California. That makes, we'll, we'll see what happens. You're smiling. So, I mean, I want to ask further questions. Like, are you a partner in that business or do you have other I, ventures? But okay, you are, sorry. You want to elaborate on kind of your, what you and him are doing together and what you. invested in that business. As I said, I think he's, I think he's a talented guy. I do think that he's, um, you know, learned a lot. So I'm involved in that business and, um, you know, involved in the sense that I am invested and have tried to lend our expertise wherever we can. Now, whether it's him or with other people in the industry, um, you know, I'm definitely open to partnering with, you know, whether it's Service Hero, whether it's your group, whether it's, um, you know, everything, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I talk to everyone. I don't, I don't discriminate or have any, you know, I'm just here to help other people make a lot of money because if I help other people make a lot of money, then I'll make a lot of money. That's kind of how I view it. And you can continue that, to give a lot. That's, that's, that's the next part of that. Yes. And that's yep. the model. So well done. And thanks for elaborating on that. I know our, our listeners will be curious about that. And it also helps kind of illustrate as you talk about taking a minority position in a company, what that might look like, what that actually looks like on the ground. And what we see is you're making a, you know, a good bet on a strong horse. And, um, that tells us where, where your head's at. So, um, I want to transition a little bit to talk about some macro HVAC stuff. Um, we've talked a little bit about the industry. Um, what is your view of the consumer experience in HVAC? What changes do you see, you know, impacting the way HVAC companies operate, right? There's a model that exists today. Is that model bulletproof for the next 25 years? Do things look different? You know, what what's on the horizon there for you? Yeah, and you can still hear me, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so I know that you're you've studied this a lot more than me. So in many ways, I would switch that question around on you. I would just tell you in terms of the home buying process in the, in the housing industry, that has completely changed in the last two and a half years, two years since this whole COVID thing happened. And, you know, I call the, you know, the coming online stuff and the, the digitization of everything. You know, I, I say it can often be like, uh, you know, uh, future porn, you know, it's like, uh, it's like porn. Everybody wants to like, you know, think about, Oh my God, this is going to happen. This is going to displace me and everything. So, you know, it was that way. And in home building for so many years and people couldn't describe what was going to happen, but I do think it's slowly happening in the home building industry. So I would just say that to your, to your audience is that, you know, these legacy areas that thought that disruption can never happen, I would argue it is. And we could talk a little bit about that. But you look at Open Door, for example, which you may have heard of, and what they're doing with the home buying process, and even what the builders are doing in terms of the leads and, you know, virtual appointments and these type of things. So that's a way, that's a segue into, you know, from home building into HVAC. I do think, Paul, at some point it is coming, but, um, you know, how it comes, when it comes, you know, I, I kind of think it's, it's almost futile unless, unless you're an expert like you are, for example, but 
if it does happen, okay, so like let's say not you know not just your your equipment listing or or let's say somebody like a Gettle does get into you know uh, selling private label you know of their own equipment or these type of things. And again, there's a lot of permutations here because it can you know it can go a lot of different ways. But let's do let's say that for some for some reason let's assume that that technology does not increase margins but let's assume that it does decrease margins i actually think that that will be bad very bad if it happens and again i i, I don't like calling because i call it fear porn you know but if it does happen that will be very bad for valuations uh from an m a perspective because you know right now frankly the lack of digitization meaning the the on the other hand, the the strong manual component to doing this is really a value add to these private equity firms. And as part of the reason, in my opinion, in addition to low interest rates, as to why these things are trading for such high prices. So I think it's something that we need to really keep our eye on. But, you know, to be honest, it doesn't really keep me up at night as much as it's just like, OK, you know. That means we just got to execute harder today, tomorrow, and every day. And that's what I'm telling all these different business owners that I'm involved with now is, you know, look, guys, I can't tell you what's going to happen in 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. I can't tell you whether the M&A market's going to be there. I can tell you it's effing hot as hell right now. But whether it's interest rates or whether it's like we're talking about the technology, um, you know, all we can do is just execute today and tomorrow and try to, to the extent that we want it, get to a liquidity event, get to a liquidity event as fast as humanly possible. And that's what we're, that's what at Pulte Capital, that's what we're trying to advise, whether it's Semper Fi or Victor's business or whatever else is, you know, we got to, we got to move quick. Is it your experience or observation that digitization had uh, margin compression in home building for dip for everyone in the value chain, or did it, did some people benefit more than others? A beautiful question. And the second part of your question was the best part of your question, which was, it depends who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. For the big, meaning the Lennars, the Pulte Homes, the DR Hortons of the world, you know, Lennar and DR Horton, they're doing 50,000 homes a year, okay? So in my opinion, for those guys, digitization was very good. And their market share is a percent of the total housing starts in the United States have been very good. However, uh, I do believe that the small time builders, and again, this is relevant for our industry, for HVAC, I do think that if they haven't figured it out yet, I do think that it's going to be very uh, challenging for them in the coming years because of that digitization. So it's not entirely because of digitization, Paul, but um, you know, you got to be of a certain size, in my opinion, to take advantage of digitization. And you guys see this already. And, you know, Chris, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. I mean, have you seen this at all with like regard to, you know, Google search ads and pay-per-click and these type of things? I mean, in my opinion, it's almost like the more capital that you can provide, you know, and put into the, the coin machine, which is Google, mm-hmm. you know, the, the more leads you can get and, and those type of things. So, I would argue that digitization is already happening and you're seeing that through the, through the marketing spend. I mean, when I first showed up, Chris, I'm asking this in the form of a question is when I first showed up in 2013, I mean, nobody was advertising on Google. And so I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I think it was um, there. 
there obviously obviously there were it was just a way smaller uh volume then than it is today i mean i started the company in 2008 so i felt like i was early in the game of doing this and and so excuse me um but i i to a point you just said on can i keep putting coins in the machine does that make a difference of course yeah the two major factors like in the you know in the google or paid world is you know, Google's trying to de- deliver the most relevant information that, you know, to based on whatever the user is searching for. You're right? trying to give them the most relevant information based on multiple factors. So that's number one. Number two is how much money can you spend? Can I outspend you? If you can make both those things work hand in hand together, you can beat just about anybody as long as you have. You know, th- this is where having no knowing the industry to create that relevancy becomes really important. And, and this is uh, something that was just by accident for me. It was... Really, when I started the company it, to do internet marketing, it was just me and my wife, and we learned it. And we had a big HVAC and plumbing customer came on board that required a lot of bandwidth, and it just parlayed into a relationship with the manufacturer because he did a good job for him, which then forced me to focus on two industries, really heavy HVAC. And so every day you learned it, but I started noticing, I thought something you were going to say earlier was like, it's not in black and white. It, if you can outspend... Uh, someone in a market and have really good search engine optimization, which is essentially relevant, relevant information. You are basically um, hitting Google's jackpot, right? Like that's what they want. That's like the best case scenario. I would argue that that's the digitization. That's, that's the digitization of the industry. Yeah. You know, and, and Goodrich and I had this conversation, I think it was like, um, gosh, probably earlier this year about, he was like, is that going to go away? I'm like, no, it's not going to go away. That's not going anywhere. And I know he was asking me that in a, like, in a question, and it's probably from something he had maybe heard from someone somewhere. It's not going anywhere. I don't even know how Google would sustain. I mean, even with all the things they have their hands in, it would, that would impact that business model. So I don't, I don't know how that would actually happen. So um, it doesn't keep me up at night at all. I just, it's something to think about. And uh, certainly the, the topic comes up enough, but no, it's only getting stronger. And I think that um, with those this uh, last year and even into this year that didn't get fear from COVID and like doubled down, certainly felt the uh, the positive effects of that. And then guess what? If with the M&A world going crazy, they also get the multiple on top of, the, of making that great decision. It was like the best case scenario. And I don't, I also believe this bubble, the bubble comment you made, it, I don't think it's going anywhere. And and because I'm so connected to so many players in this space saying the exact same things, they can't all be wrong. Like there's got to be something to it. So I don't know, man, but I just am glad to be a part of it. It's my world too. Uh, I know I'm certainly can be an impact on those things, but yeah, I would, I would agree. It's here. It's just now who can be the best at it. Who can win? You know, I, I always say it. I'll see you on the battlefield. And I'd love to learn about your stuff, Paul, too, because I've seen it, but I haven't looked into it. So I'll connect with you offline. Well, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. And, and, um, you know, and I think it's, it's worth, you know, you, you have to at least be aware of everything to know what fits your model and what doesn't fit your model. Um, so I think that's just being a, a good business owner, manager, or whatever is understanding those things. But um, we're, about 55 minutes in, I said, I will be, you know, make sure that I'm, I'm being mindful of your, of your time, Bill. Um, and, and I want to finish with something that I think I, I, I bet you from even just this podcast, I know what the answer is, but something that Paul and I always, you know, like to end with, and that is what do you want your legacy 
to be? What is Bill Pulte's legacy going to be? The Bill Pulte I'm looking at on my screen with the amazing hair. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, my legacy, all I would like it to be is that I have a good family, number one, and number two, that I help a lot of people. But the the first part is bigger than the second part, I would say. So, yeah, I um, you know, you there's something that, and I can't remember. Um, this is because you mentioned family; it brought it up for me because I was just having this conversation with um with one of my daughters that you know you, we create this wealth for ourselves, um, and people automatically think like, uh, well, you guys are gonna you know building this up to leave it to your kids. Um, here's my answer to that. I like to enjoy my life. Um, I like to have experiences. I love giving back. Whatever's left over, they'll get. <laughs> but in, that, in my moment, in my dash, you know, from my born date to end date, I'm going to live out that dash to the fullest. Um, I'm working hard. And that, yes, um, I will help them along the way as they get older and do certain things and give them guidance. But I'm not the bank for them they do need to earn the value of uh, no learn the value of the dollar and, th- and we and we do that for them now so like we're building that in early and they're not asking us for stuff but that's part of feeling good about giving back to your family too is that you created these opportunities in these moments and these experiences to have together that's life there's nothing wrong with that i just like to do that with my family and my employees in the meantime giving back and giving back as part of the fulfillment especially when you can pull your family into it So I commend you for that answer. Um, I want to make sure that I put this out here too. um, For anybody who might be want to reach out to you, Bill, directly or or whomever to kind of potentially explore this path of a partnership. Um, If that's something you want to put out there, then I would say let's share a contact info. If you'd rather us just share it in in the post, we can do that as well. What would you like us to do with that? I would just say if people could message me on Facebook, that would be amazing. And I'll make sure that I look into, you know, check that. Or, you know, just a couple other of my partners are, uh, you know, we mentioned Victor. So I would just reach out to Victor or me. Um, you know, I would give my email, but I've had to change my email. I've had to change my phone number. Uh, you know, people are impersonating me these days on Facebook. I've seen that. So I'd rather not give out my email if that's okay. All good. Yeah, that's no, Facebook, Facebook Messenger is totally fine. I mean, today it's pretty much just another normal form of, of communication. So please message me. I'd love to talk to you. And I say to people, even if I can't, you know, even if there's not a way for me to invest or there's not a way for us to be helpful, uh, you know, we'd be happy to help in any way, shape or form. So we just want to make people a lot of money and we want to help you make yourself a lot of money. And then if we can be along for the ride that can make us money. And then frankly, uh, we can give away more money online and more money to people in need. So, you know, turns out giving away money is expensive. So <laughs> do you know what I, I, I just thought of this bill? I'm thinking back, like, you know, at Northwestern or wherever Chris and I went to school, why didn't anyone tell us about private equity when we were 21 <laughs> years old? It's like, once you, you hear about private equity and then you go into a sealed room and you really find out about private equity and you're like, wow, this is the way yeah. the world works. Yeah. And I was surprised that I hadn't heard about it, you know, with the size of the business that my family was involved with. I mean, that was pretty wild, but 
I'm glad I found out about it. Yeah, you and me both. You and me both. Same. <laughs> so grateful. I'm no longer trade want just wanting to just trade baseball cards as a little kid. Those baseball cards got a lot bigger once you once you learn a little bit <laughs> what they could be. I've listen, I appreciate you so much coming on here. I'm grateful. I love it, man. You shared some really good stuff. I love the the diff I love giving our listeners a different view into what that part what partnerships can look like. I think that's extremely important again to understand options. Um, at least to know a path to go further down. So, you know, having a resource to reach out and, and understand that better, I think is important. And and I believe that's part of what Paul and I's responsibility is with to the point is bringing those things to the listeners, you know, try and make their, you know, their businesses better or their lives better, whichever one um, or both. So thank you for that so much. And, and, and typically, you know, listeners, um, you, you'll be afraid to reach out and ask questions for fear of sounding stupid or dumb or whatever. You got to scrap. Say it again, Bill. You can ask me whatever you want. So message me, feel free to, doesn't matter what size business yours is, is if there's any way that we can help, we'll do it. Perfect, Matt. Appreciate awesome. you extending that offer. And so, listeners, take advantage of it. And uh, and, and Paul, I'll tell you what. Do you, I don't know if you have the sheet in front of you too. Do you want to read our our review to close out the show, or you want me to do it? I do. I got it. You, are you asking me that because you know I can barely read right now? Yeah, um, I really just wanted to put I, you in this it, situation. Thankfully, I can zoom. So, um, thank you, Comfort Star, for the five star review. And if you've not left a, a review yet, please leave a review. Um, Comfort Star says, I'm so grateful to have been recommended to look into and listen to this podcast. As someone said best and simply put, game changer. Dot, game dot, dot. changer. Thank you. We well, thank that. you, Comfort Star. That was very thoughtful of you. And hey, listen, um, we do love these reviews and, and things like that because like, especially if we have a guest on here and you're leaving one on them, we love to share it with them you know, because they took the time to come and share their, their information, their knowledge and wisdom with you. And uh, and it's nice to kind of give them that that feedback as, as well. So I know I always love that type of stuff. So please go ahead and leave a review and be sure to share this stuff with uh, your peers. You know, obviously not everybody knows about the podcast. Thankfully, I don't know if you know this, Paul, but do you know where we peaked at this year in the marketing podcast, all marketing podcasts and the Apple platform? Do you know where we peaked at as a home services specific podcast? Uh, number three. That would be badass, but that's not the correct answer. Yeah. The number three, the number three is in the answer. It's actually thirty-one. Thirty-one. We were the, we were like the thirty-one most downloaded podcast in all of marketing, and we're home services specific. And the listeners, we appreciate you so much. That's off. That's totally because of you and our guests like Bill. We have on the show bring in the fire content to bring you listeners back listening time and time again. So, Bill, again, appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming on, Thank here, my you, man. Jeff. TP, I appreciate you. you, bro. It's the yes. new year. The time that this podcast is out, it is officially 2022. We are excited for the year ahead of you, listeners. We got some great guests coming on again throughout the year. Um, and listen, we hope you guys and gals crush 2022. Until next time, we'll see you. Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, 
scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.